0: Want to turn with me to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. If you're wondering where Exodus is, it's the second book of the Bible. Pretty easy today. Second book of the Bible, chap- chapter 3 of Exodus. We're going to look at verse 15 together very, very shortly. Uh, We've we been going through a series here at Thrive. It's called Happy, Healthy Home. Everyone say happy, healthy home. And this series is all about how to have happier, healthier relationships in your home. Whether it's in your marriage, your relationship with your parents, your kids, your brothers and sisters, people that you live with. How to have a happier, healthier home. And uh, we've been really blessed over the past nine weeks. We've been looking at different types of homes, different ways we can build a happier, healthier home by the power that is in God's word. And today, uh, you know, I have a bittersweet thing to tell us that we're wrapping up today our happy, healthy home series. Everyone go, oh. Have you guys enjoyed this series so far? Has it been helpful for many of you? Hopefully it's been a very practical time, a very helpful time, uh, a, 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 maybe a, a, something that's really challenged the way that you thought about relationships in your home. And uh, today, as we end our Happy Healthy Home series, uh, I want to share with you what I think is a message that would make uh, you know, this series complete. Because without talking about it, this series called Happy Hockey Home probably wouldn't be so complete. Today I want to talk about a very interesting topic. I want to talk about breaking generational bondage. Breaking generational bondage. What exactly is generational bondage? What is that? How does it affect your family and your home? What can you do about it? We're gonna talk about all of that today. Let's all get Exodus chapter three, verse 15 together. In a big loud voice, let's read together. It says, God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. And see, let's go back to the beginning of that verse. See, Exodus chapter three, verse 15 says, the God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See, in our society, we tend to think of ourselves in a very individualistic way. We thought, you know, it's all about me, my life, my generation, the 70, 80, 90 years that I have on this earth. It's about me and this time that I have right now. But as you read the Bible, you discover something about God. is that God is a God who thinks generationally. He's not just a God who focuses on you and your life and your happiness and your comfort, but He's a God who sees you as a continuation of previous generations and the beginning of new generations. If you believe that, say amen. 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 And you know, if you are the kind of person who's just, you know, it's all about me, you know, that's, a, that's, that's a very common way to think in our society, but it's highly unbiblical. Because the fact is, when God sees you, He sees you in connection with previous generations and your future generations. It doesn't start with you, it also doesn't end with you. And see, the fact is this, we all know that we are greatly affected by our previous generations. In good ways and bad ways. You know, we have got you know, really positive traits that we may have learned from our parents or grandparents. Maybe some very good values we've learned from our parents or grandparents. Maybe some sacrifices that they've made that have made our lives today possible. We wouldn't be here without them. If you believe that, say amen. But there are also ways that our previous generations can impact us in a negative way. And we're going to look at what the Bible says about this together. Let's look at Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 4. Exodus chapter 20, starting with verse 4. You just flip your Bible to it, or you can read off the screen with me. One, two, three, it says, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, many of you have ever read the Ten Commandments, you've probably read over these verses and these words before. Look back at verse four. Look back at verse four. It says, can you go back back, to verse four? It says, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven Above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters below. In other words, we we're made to worship God and God alone. Verse 5 says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Stop right there. See, what does that mean? When when it says I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. I don't want you to misunderstand these words. When I, when, when I was a young Christian, I, I used to look at these words and be kind of confused. But what does that mean? He punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. See, what it does not mean is that God does not hold you responsible for the sins that your parents or your grandparents or your ancestors committed. He doesn't, he doesn't say, oh, because your dad committed adultery, it is your fault, and I'm blaming you, and I'm holding you responsible, and therefore I'm punishing you that way. See, that's not what we're talking about. He's not saying, oh, because your mom had that affair, or because your granddad, you know, had that failure you know, in, in, in his moral life, that because of that, you guys all from now on, I'm going to punish you for that. That's not what he's saying. What does it What does it mean when, when the Bible says that, you know, God punishes God punishes the children for the sins of the fathers of the third and fourth generation. Let me tell you what it means. See, it means that when one generation sins, when parents in one generation sin, and that sin is not confessed, it's not forgiven, it's not dealt with in an appropriate way, that sin will have natural negative consequences for the next generation. See, those who come after the parents, will have to deal with the after effects of that sin and may even end up struggling with that same sin themselves. It's not God actively giving punishment to the children, but rather it's talking about the natural the natural effect of sin when we don't deal with it correctly. is that if, if you're a parent in this place, and there is a persistent sin in your life that you know, you continue to go through. Maybe it's, you, you're you continuing to, 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 to lie and to cheat in a certain way, and you don't deal with it in, in a correct way. You don't come to God for forgiveness for it. You don't confess it. You don't change. What's gonna happen is that it will have a natural impact on your kids in the next generation. That's what we're talking about, is that God is a God of love. And, and, and this is the thing is that in the Old Testament, you're going to find that you, you'll find that your know, good things and bad things are attributed to God. There's even this weird verse in the Bible that says that God sent an evil spirit to King Saul. Did God really send an evil spirit to King Saul? Why would he do that? It's because in the Old Testament there was a mindset that God is the, is the origin of all things. He's the cause of everything. And so ultimately, everything goes back to God. But when you go into the New Testament, you'll get an even more precise picture of who God is, is that every good thing comes from God, and he allows negative things in our lives, not because he's cruel, not because you know, he wants to punish us, but because he's a God who loves us, who gives us the freedom to do what we want to do, who gives us the freedom to choose. And sometimes, because we're sinners, we make bad choices. Amen. And as a result, it leads to some negative consequences. He's a God of love. But see, here's the thing, is that when we don't deal with our sin in an appropriate way, when we don't confess it, When we don't ask for forgiveness, when we don't repent and we don't change, our sins will end up having an effect on the next generation, to the point where they, our kids, our grandkids may struggle with the same sin that we got ourselves struggling with as well. We see a lot of examples of that in the Bible. Let me give just a few today. If you look at the family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We looked at Genesis, or sorry, Exodus 3.15, said, I am the Lord your God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God thinking generationally. He's talking about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when you, when you study the family line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you're going to notice something, is that in these three successive generations, each of the men struggled with the same specific sin, do you know what it was, is that each of them had a serious issue with lying and deceit, and this is not just something, well, well everybody lies, you know, or you know, it, it was all spontaneous, but no, each of them had an issue with scheming and coming up with lies that they would carry forward for a long season, a long period of time. It was an issue from one generation to the next to the next. Look at Genesis 12, 10 to 15 with me. reading in boys with me. One, two, three, it says, now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Verse 11, as he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abraham came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. Stop right there. So what's going on? Abram and, and Sarah, they are a married couple. They're living in a land called Egypt. Sarah is a beautiful woman, and Abraham is very threatened. Because he feels, like I'm a foreigner in this land. What if people in this foreign land want to attack me and hurt me because my wife is so beautiful so that they can have her and eliminate me? And so what does she say? He says, hey, Sarah, from now on, when, when people ask if we're married or not, we're just going to say we're not married. We're going to say we're brothers and sisters, okay? You're my sister. I'm your brother from now on. And she goes, oh, uh, okay. Okay. And, and, and they, they end up carrying out this lie to the point where later on, the king of Egypt notices Sarai and goes, hey, Sarai, Abraham, uh, just wondering, I, I don't mean to forward, but is, is, is Sarai married? Or, or, oh, oh, no, 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 she, she's, she's not my wife. She's just my sister. She, she's my sister. Oh, but you guys are holding hands. Oh, yeah, that's just what we do in our culture, all right? Uh, we, we, we just do that. And, and, and so they end up, he ends up taking her into his own home to be uh, another wife in his home, and it causes all sorts of problems for the king of Pharaoh, for Sarah, for Abraham, and this lie ends up becoming a very destructive thing in their lives. And that was Abraham. It's kind of ironic that Abraham is known as the father of faith, but it was because he didn't trust God enough to protect them in that time that he came up with this lie and caused Sarah to go into a kind of bondage that no woman wants to go through. If, guys in this place, if you want a surefire way of going to marriage counseling, tell people, oh, she's not my wife, she's my sister. All right, that's that's what Abraham did. But see, Abraham wasn't the only one who did that. When you look at the next generation, you're gonna find that Isaac, his son, experienced or went through the same kind of struggle, almost in the exact same way. Genesis 26, let's look together. Genesis 26 verse seven says, read with me, one, two, three, it says, when the men of that place asked Isaac about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. Verse eight, he thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. Keep on going, when Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. What happened? Abraham, he struggled the sin of lying and deceit, specifically when it came to lying about his wife and his family. In the next generation, what happens? Isaac does the same thing. In, this, in a different country, he's in now the land of Philistia with the Philistines, and he is making up the same lie about his lovely wife, Rebekah, and says, hey, hey Rebekah? Um, You know, when you are asked by anyone, if you're single, tell tell them, yes, tell them that we are not married, that we are brothers, exactly the same lie. And see, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but when you study Abraham, Isaac, and the next generation, Jacob, what is Jacob known for more than anything? He's known as a trickster. He's known as a deceiver. He's known as a liar more so than Abraham and Isaac. What do you see? You see the same struggle being passed down from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And so when we talk about generational bondage, what are we talking about? Here's a a little definition for generational bondage that you can write down. See, a generational bondage is a struggle with a specific sin that gets passed down from one generation to the next. Yeah, have you ever had that in your family, where you, 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 when you look at your family line, it just seems that you guys all have the same problem that you face? You know, have you ever met a depressed woman whose mother was depressed, whose grandmother was depressed? Have you ever met a guy who struggled with, for example, substance abuse, and his father also was a substance abuser, and his grandfather, or maybe great-grandfather, was also a substance abuser? These are clues that maybe something called generational bondage is going on. Let me give you another example from Isaac and uh, sorry, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is that you got one pattern that's going on from generation to generation. People lying, men deceiving other men. But there's another one, which is the, the women being very controlling and manipulating. Right? You know, they, they, they're, they're, they end up becoming you know, people where they don't trust their husbands to do the right thing, so they step in, they try to be the king, and they start to try to command and control their husbands in different ways and becoming quite manipulative in that. That's something you find that happens from generation to generation generation in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Another one is, is child favoritism. You'll notice that you know, Abraham, he favored, he had two sons, but he favored one. His name was Ishmael. Isaac, in the next generation, he had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Who did he favor? He favored Esau. Then you get to Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and he favors one of them. What's his name? His name is Joseph. And that child favoritism end up becoming a huge issue in their family. Some of the biggest heartbreaks, some of the biggest you know, disappointments, some of the biggest pain that their family would go through will be a result of you know, men lying, women being manipulative, parents favoring children, sibling rivalry. And, and these are all different examples of, you know, one generation to the next, a sin recurring in different ways. And see, if you look, for example, at the, at the, king, at the life of King David. You guys know it's King David? We've been studying King David over the past little while in our game booklets, in our game time. King David, when you look at his family line, you're going to see that the same thing is going on, except in a different way is that David, his biggest struggle, one of his biggest struggles, was his lust for women. He, he just had this insatiable appetite for sex and for women. And you know this, is that King David, he loved God. He even loved the Word of God. But there was a part of the Word of God that he would outright disobey and ignore for so much of his lifetime. Do you know what it was? It was when the Bible says a king should not have many wives. A king should just have one wife. Because those many wives will lead that that, that king astray. But see, for many, many years, David did not listen to that command. He outright rebelled against God's plan for his life. And as a result, pain resulted. You know, David didn't just have one wife. He had at least eight wives. He had at least eight wives and he had ten concubines. So just people that he would consider to be his legal mistresses. And, you know, this inability to conquer lust in his life would end up being his downfall. He even commits adultery outside of these wives and concubines, and it would end up becoming his biggest reason for pain in his life from then on. You You look at the next generation, what happens in the next generation? Well, David has a son called Solomon. And how many wives does he have? He has 700 wives, 700 wives. And not just seven hundred; he had three hundred concubines. And Solomon, you will find that he would end up, you know, basically losing his wisdom, losing his authority, becoming an empty shell of himself because of this sin in his life. He was at one time the wisest man in Israel, the wisest leader among all the nations, and yet because he could not get his, he could not get a hold over his lust issue, he ended up becoming a guy with 700 wives, 300 concubines, who would end up leading him astray and causing him to become an empty, disillusioned shell of himself by the end of his life. But then you go to the next generation, and Solomon has a son, his name is Rehoboam, and what happens in Rehoboam's life? I guess he decided to tone it down a little bit, he said, oh, you know what, you know, dad went kind of overboard, he had 700 wives, I'm not going to have that, I'll just have 18 wives. I'll just have 18 wives. And I mean, if he had 300 concubines, that's a little too much, I'm gonna have, I'll always have 60 have sixty concubines, and what ends up happening is Rehoboam. He's also struggling with the same area of lust, and he's not able to control himself in that area, and that ends up being his downfall as well. The kingdom of Israel ends up splitting in his hands as a result. And see, what what does that tell you? Is that in each case. From generation to generation to generation, the same sin led to the downfall of that man or that woman or that family. And so many problems, so much pain resulted as a result. And th- this is not just a coincidence, ladies and gentlemen. This is not just a coincidence, oh, this happens to everybody. No, see, generational bondage is not just something that happens in the Bible. This is something that we see even more today. For example, you know, how many of us have friends who've struggled with pornography who they themselves found out about pornography from their dad or their uncle. And, then, and they, in turn, found that out about, from, from an from older relative in their family. It passed from generation to generation. You know, for example, we talked a little bit about substance abuse. You, you, they say that when it comes to alcoholics, studies have shown that children of alcoholics are four times as likely to become alcoholics themselves. Children of alcoholism, compared to people who didn't grow up with alcoholism, and, uh, alcoholism in their family, children of alcoholism, it's actually a, a term now, COAs, children of alcoholism, they are four times as likely to become alcoholics themselves. There, there's something going on there. Another one is divorce. You know, in, in, this is not a Christian term, but in, in, among, you know, the, in the world of psychiatry, there's a term called the intergenerational transmission of divorce. The intergenerational transmission of divorce, what is it talking about? It's saying that there's a substantial body of research that points to this idea that children of divorced parents are significantly more likely to go through divorce themselves than children who never went through like, a divorce in their family. And it's, that, it's, the, it's the thing that you know, statistics show that, that children who come out of a divorce, whose parents divorce, that they will, are significantly more likely to have divorced themselves, or have very unhealthy marriages, or have marriages which uh, you know, just basically were not, were, were not what God intended. And see, kids from divorced families, they say, according to certain studies, that they are more likely to consider divorce as an option when they go through problems in marriage than people who don't go through a divorce in their family. Is that when, 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 when they have a spat, when there's a marital breakdown, when, when there's a problem in the family, they, the kids from a divorced family will tend to think of divorce as the way out much more quickly than people who didn't come from a divorced family. And see, what is that? There's something that's passed on from one generation to the next. Let's look at another one. Suicide. There was a recent study that was done by the National Alliance for Research on Schizophrenia and Depression. And they studied the entire population of Sweden, and they found this: is that children who lost parents to suicide were two times more likely to be hospitalized for, for, for depression, and three times more likely to commit suicide themselves than children who or teenagers who had parents who were still with them. Amazing. Another one is pornography: is that very often, you know, we have. You know, issues where guys struggle with pornography because it was learned from a previous generation, and you might be asking, well, "How does this transmission work? How does this general bond take place? Is it is it inherited genetically through our DNA?" Is it you know? Is it something we learn through watching the behavior of others? Is it a spiritual stronghold that you know Satan has? You know the fact is this: I believe there's there's probably all those three things going on. The fact is we don't know the exact anatomy of a generational bondage, but we do know that it is an issue that we need to contend with. Otherwise, our future generations are going to be affected. If you believe that, say amen. And the solution is this, the solution is Jesus Christ. We're gonna talk about that today. But, but I, I wanna tell you this, is that the, the, there's a question I wanna ask you as we talk about generational bondage, is this, when you look at your own family line, when you look at your parents, your grandparents, and even generations beyond that, what are some sin patterns that you find recurring generation after generation? When you look at you know, your history as a family, is there a pattern that is like you know, always coming up in your family? the same kind of struggle from generation to generation. What generational bondages have affected your family? Can I give you a list of some common generational bondages that some people will find that they go through? Uh, you know, it we'll, won't we'll go through all of them, but just, there, here's a list. You know, There's things like adultery, we talked about that in the case of David. Alcoholism and substance abuse, we talked a little about that. Blaming and fault-finding, where you just, just, like, just, this tendency to blame others all the time. Finding fault all the time, extremely negative all the time, extremely critical of everything, very judgmental all the time. Do you find that that gets passed on from generation to generation? You know, very controlling of others, manipulative of others. Depression, we talked about divorce. Emotional affairs, maybe, you know, one person in the family always had this, you know, this thing about them where they would, they they might not have a physical affair, but they'd always have this emotional affair with someone outside of the home. And, and, and it would be such a, a damaging thing for them and their marriage, and you find that that got passed on from one generation to the next. Maybe it's envy. Maybe it's hatred toward others. Just, very, very, just a hatred toward a certain group of people. A hatred toward a certain, you know, you know, a certain type of person. Maybe it's idolatry, you know, worshiping something other than God. Maybe it's a love of money. Where you just, you, you love, it, there's just a very big focus on money all the time, money, 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 money. And it passed from generation to generation to generation. Maybe it's about lying and deceit, like we talked about in the case of Abraham. Another one is maybe obsession over your own appearance. Always focus on what are people saying about me? How do I look? You know, what, 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 like, what, what's, my, what's my body shape like today? And, and focus on that, and it passed from generation to generation. It maybe it it's passivity, where you're just very, like not very responsible, not really keeping your word, lazy. You know, another one is perfectionism, is that you set these super high standards for yourself, and, and you're you're always stressed about it because you you can't reach the standards that you set. Talk about pornography, premature death. You know, you know, another one is pride, where you know you you you're, you're very resistant to God. It's all about me and my way, and this is it's either my way or the highway, and it's generation after generation that you see that happening. Self hatred, always down on yourself, always you know criticizing yourself, looking down. You say, oh, I'm such a failure. Such a loser, and is that something you see in your family? Something where you find that, man, that, I'm not the only one. My dad was like that, or my mom was like that, or my aunt was like that, my grandfather was like that, or maybe it's sexual sin. You know, maybe there was immorality in the family, suicide, unbelief. How many of you, guys, you know if, if you're the first Christian in your family? How many of you guys know that you are a modern day breakthrough? Amen. Because. That means, if you're the first Christian in the family, that means that you're the only person, or the first person in your family line that opened their heart to Jesus Christ, and Jesus, I believe in you, I receive you in my life. What is that? That was you, whether you know it or not, that was you breaking a tradition in your family of rejecting Jesus that generation after generation was resistant to the gospel, was resistant to Jesus Christ, was resistant to his love, and when you stepped and said, Jesus, I believe in you, I receive into my life, all of a sudden, not only was your life changed, but something was broken in your family as well. If you believe that, say amen. amen. See, that's what happens as well. Unbelief, unforgiveness. Maybe you, know, you, you find that you're a family that loves to hold grudges. You know, It's not just you, it's your generation, it's the previous generation before you. Oh, like, there's this lot of silent treatment, a lot of, you know, let's, we, don't, we don't talk to those kind of people. We don't talk to that person because that happened. Maybe that's something that's carried on in your family. Witchcraft and occult. Maybe, you know, your, your family was, you know, very heavily into a kind of witchcraft or a kind of idol worship or a kind of even occult practice that has been a, bound, a, a, a bondage in your family from generation to generation. Or maybe stuff like worry and anxiety. Maybe your mom was a worrier. And you, if you had to be honest, you've kind of taken on that trait of hers, is that you you just worry so much all the time, but you're not the only one in the family. See, these are all different, common generational bondages that people face. These are not the only ones. These are just a few of the many types of bondages that can, can occur when we are not careful to confess our sins, ask God to deal with that sin, so that we don't pass it on to the next generation. See, here's the thing. Why are we talking about generational bondages today? It's because it could very well be that the reason why your home is not as happy and healthy as God intended to be is not just because uh, you didn't understand your role as a husband or that you didn't understand your role as a wife. It might not be just because of immaturity, although that is a huge reason why a lot of families are not happy and not healthy. You know, it, could be, it, it might not just be because you haven't learned to fight well together. It could also be one more reason why you might be not as happy and healthy as a family together could very well be because of generational bondage without you even even knowing it. And here's the thing, when you understand what generational bondage is, and when you know that there's generational bondage in your family, it helps you to approach your family in a different way. It helps you to protect your kids in a different way. It helps you to, 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 to approach that struggle in a different way. Because for the first time, you realize, hey, maybe this struggle is not just my struggle. Maybe this is not just me. Maybe this is a family problem. Maybe this is a generational problem. Maybe if I'm not careful, this is going to affect my kids. And so maybe I need to be different about how I'm approaching this problem so that not only, I get, so that not only can I overcome, but my kids can overcome it as well, amen? This is so very important to understand generational bondages. The more more aware you are and wise you are about generational bondage, the more you are able to lead and to help your family become happy and healthy. And we're going to give you an opportunity to to pray together today to start addressing some of these generational bondages. But before we do that, can I give you two words of caution? See, when, when we talk about generational bondages, there are two extremes that you need to avoid, two extremes. The first extreme is this. Don't blame every problem on your ancestors. Not every problem. See, Learning about generational bondage is not about learning to place blame on others. That's not the point. See, it's, it's about understanding your struggle and taking responsibility on behalf of yourself and for your family so that it will not continue to be a problem for yourself or the generations after you. See, learning what generational logic is not about learning to place blame, but it's learning to become an intercessor for your family. Learn to know how to pray for the family and stand the gap for the family so that, pre, so that you know, like generations after us will not be affected. And so, for example, if you are you know, pulled over later on today on our way to the outing for speeding, I hope that doesn't happen, Right, say you're driving and you're going a bit faster than you thought and, and, the, and the police officer you know, pulls you over and they, they, cut, they, they knock on the window, you roll down the window and, and, and they say, uh, 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 sir, do you know how fast you were going? Don't say, oh, I, I'm sorry. I, it, it, it's generational bondage.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I, cause I, listen to me. Because at church my pastor's talking about, like my, 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 my grandfather sped. My father sped, therefore I speed as well, right? So that, that, that don't, don't do that, you, you might be charged for not just speeding but also stupidity at the same time. You don't wanna do that, all right? And for example, if, if, you get, if you get a flat tire on your way to the outing today, don't go, oh, mom, thanks, right? You, you don't wanna blame your parents for problems that were not their problems, amen? Amen? If you have a credit card bill problem where you just, for some reason, you can't pay your debts on time, don't say, oh, you know what? It's my grandma's fault. Grandma is because you gave me all those red pockets, all those hongbao, all this time, and it's because that, 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 therefore, I don't, I, I'm lazy when it comes to this. I expect you to pay it off. No, no, don't, don't do that. Don't blame every problem on your ancestors because the fact is not every problem you face is the result of generational bondage. But some things are. You want to avoid playing the victim and becoming an intercessor instead, amen? 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 This is not a chance for you to go, oh, because so, so my parents and my grandparents, it's all their fault, it's not about that. It's about learning to take responsibility on behalf of yourself and your family for the sake of future generations. Number two, the second extreme that you want to avoid is don't discount the impact of previous generations on you. See, one extreme, it's to blame everything on your parents from now on. Oh, this is why, it's because of you that I'm this way, it's because of you that I'm this way, that's one extreme. Is that, you, know, you just keep on blaming everybody other than yourself, other than you taking responsibility. There's another extreme. The other extreme is, say, oh, you know what? This is all just hocus pocus. This is all just superstition. This is all just, you know, you know, just like mythical stuff. It doesn't have any impact on me. I'm my own person. No, that's not the case. Because the fact is, we are all affected by our previous generations. You know, I, I used to be a little bit skeptical about generational bondage. I was like, you know, does this really exist? And and then I started reading God's word and realizing, wow, you know, God's word speaks in a very powerful way about generational bondage. And then I started to experience some stuff personally in my life. For years, I struggled with a very unhealthy way of thinking. And um, it was, for a long time, I thought it was my own individual struggle. I, I thought that, you know, no one else in my family dealt with it. And then, you know, in little bits and pieces, I would start to hear, oh, this person in your family struggles with that. Oh, that, per- that person in, the, this, in, our, in, in your grandparents' generation, JB, he struggles with that. I'm like, oh, wow, really? And I remember I was, I was sitting in a, a session with a, a pastor once who, who was talking about generational bondage, and all of a sudden, I, I started to clue into the fact that, okay, maybe this problem is not just me. For all this time, I thought it was just my own very personal, individualized, custom-made problem, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe actually there is something going on, something handed down from one generation to the next, to the next. And so after I realized that, you know, my, this pastor, he took me through these three, four steps of praying through generational bondage. And can I tell you, it's one of those things where, so, can I tell you, some, some gifts don't happen immediately. Like so, some gifts you pray for, sometimes they don't happen right away. But can I tell you, this happened for me right away. Is that all of a sudden, after I went through these four steps, it was like this huge burden was lifted off my shoulders. And it has no longer been an issue for me ever since. And and, 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 uh, and it was something where i t- I've done everything I could in my own power to try to to, to, to avoid it, there was nothing I was really doing in my life that was trying to attempt, intentionally feed into that unhealthy way of thinking. But it was such a burden for me for so many years. And then finally, uh, you know, we, I pray through these four steps. And all of a sudden, it's this burden that is completely lifted off of me that has never come back as an issue. It just showed me, wow, generational bondage is real. But praise God, Jesus Christ can set us free from all generational bondage. Amen. 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 How do you know if you struggle with generational bondage? Well, here's here a couple clues. You can write these down. They're not on the screen, but you can write them down. The first is this, is that people from different generations you find are struggling with that same issue. Maybe in your parents' generation, your grandparents' generation, and it's the same, it's basically the same issue. The second clue that you might be fighting generational bondage is something that I can relate to, is that you feel like you're fighting something that is bigger than you. Well, there's one pastor in my life who, who puts it this way. It's almost like you are, you feel like you're in a room in the dark Blindfolded, and you are doing everything you can to fight an enemy that you're not even sure if it's even there. But it just you end up dealing with it. You know, often in different seasons of your life, without really even you know trying to precipitate, without even trying to feed it, it becomes an issue in your life. Often, you feel like it is something bigger than yourself. If that is you, then it could very well be that you are struggling with an issue of generational bondage. But the great news that we have in Jesus Christ is that Jesus. Is ready, willing, and able to set us free from all generational bondage. Amen. 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 Come on, give God a big hand here in this place right now. You can do that right now. Jesus can set you free from all generational bondage. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 to 15. Got to read in a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The Son also became flesh and blood, for only as a human being could He die, and only by dying could He break the power of the devil who held the power of death. Keep on going. Only in this way could He set free all those who, through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. What is Hebrews chapter two, verse fifteen, saying? It's saying the difference that Jesus makes is that we are human beings, flesh and blood jesus the son of god he became the son of man he was god in the flesh the word became flesh he became flesh and blood so that he could die on the cross for our sins and this is the thing you ought to understand is that when jesus died on the cross for our sins there was an amazing exchange that took place at that moment is that all of the bondage the curses the sins that would be on our lives he took them on And he exchanged them and gave to us instead his peace, his righteousness, his blessing, his destiny as a son of God. Amen. Amen. There was an exchange. He took our bondage and gave us his blessing. He took our iniquity and gave us his peace. He took our sorrow and gave us his joy. He took our bondage and he gave us his freedom. That is what Jesus did. And can I tell you, Jesus did that for me, and He can do the same for you. I have another friend who uh, his, he has a history of all sorts of substance abuse in his family um, addicted to alcohol, cigarettes, and crack cocaine. There was his great grandmother who was addicted to alcohol, cigarettes, and crack cocaine. There was his grandmother addicted to alcohol, cigarettes, and crack cocaine. There was his mother, addicted to alcohol, cigarettes, and crack cocaine. There was his older sister, addicted to alcohol, cigarettes, and crack cocaine. And, and people, as he grew up, people would say, you are gonna be just like the rest of your family. You're gonna be just like your sister. You're gonna be just like your mom. You're gonna be addicted to crack as well. But at 15 years old, this, my friend, he received Christ into his life. And he started taking the steps that I'm gonna be teaching you later today. And he ended up not just escaping this generational bondage, never end up becoming addicted to crack cocaine, alcohol, or to cigarettes. But instead, not only that, not only did he escape that bondage, but because he became a Christian, he started to lead his other family members, his mom and his sister, to Christ. And they got set free from that bondage as well. Isn't that cool stuff? Yeah. Can we give God a big, big hand for that? His mother received Jesus. Decided to receive Jesus, and now they've been set free from a bondage that had been attacking them for generations. What does that teach you? It shows you that God's power and God's blessing in Jesus Christ are greater than any bondage that you will ever face. You might feel like that bondage in your life, that problem in your life, is way too big for you. Is that you can't handle? It. It's, just, it's just, it's just, something that, that that you find is such a big struggle for you. But can I tell you this in this place? There is nothing that is bigger than the power of God. There is nothing that is greater than the blessing of God. Jesus Christ can set you free. Jesus Christ is greater than any mountain that you face today. And so if you hang on to him and you look to him for help, he will give you everything you need to break generational bondage in your life. You don't need to live in fear that, oh, because my parents divorced, therefore I'm going to get a divorce as well. You don't need to live in fear that, oh, because you know my, my, my uncle is addicted in this way, that therefore I'm going to get addicted this way. You don't have to live in fear oh that because my grandfather loved money so much that therefore that's going to happen to me as well. No, you want to be aware of it, but you can also, in Jesus' name, you can break the the, the, the curse that is there. You can also do things to make sure that in the power of Jesus Christ, that those things never happen to you or your future generations. If you believe that, say amen. 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 So this is how we're going to end. I'm going to tell you four ways that you can find freedom from generational bondage. Four ways that you can break the power of generational bondage in your life. The first is this is identify recurring sin patterns that have persisted in your family over generations. Identify recurring sin patterns that have persisted in your family over generations. Earlier we looked at a list of common generational bondages and maybe I was to invite you to take a look at that again. Is that you have this list and it's you know, two pages long here of, of different types of generational bondage that we've seen people affected by by their family through generational bondage. And, and you, I want to encourage you, if, if you can identify with one or more of these things, I encourage you to write them down. I find this, is that with most families, there's usually two, maybe three, that are especially big in their family. You, know, you might find, oh, I see a little, bit, a little bit of all of this in my family. Sure, that, that's, that's, that, that, that's something we have to pray through. But sometimes I find that there are two or three that are especially prominent. And I, I want to encourage you to, to deal with those ones specifically today. Take the major ones. The major ones that you find, wow, that, that happens in my family, and, it's, and I feel affected by it as well. You know, that's the first thing. Identify recurring sin patterns that have persisted in your family over generations. Encourage you to write them down, because you need to know these as we get into the next thing. Number two is confess those sins to God on behalf of yourself and your family. He's it's not just good enough to know, oh yeah, there's generational bondage in my family. That, that's, knowing is not half the battle in this case. Knowing just lets you know, but you need to do something about it. You have to confess it to God. You have to use the power of your spoken word and confess those sins to God on behalf of yourself and your family. Let's look at First John 1, 8, 9 together. 1, 2, 3, it says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This verse we go after, go 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 after go back to often because it is such an important verse. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God is a forgiving God. He is a merciful and compassionate God. He punishes the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation, but he shows love to a thousand generations to those who love him. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And that's why you need to confess your sins to God. Say, God, I, I confess on behalf of myself and my family, we've had an issue with adultery. I confess on behalf of my family, we have this issue with pornography. On behalf of myself and my family, we have this issue with substance. I confess it now in Jesus' name. There's a reason why when you read the book of Nehemiah, one of the most powerful things that Nehemiah does, what makes him one of the greatest leaders in the Bible, is that he leads his people in confessing their sins. And not just their own sins, but the sins of their previous generation. Because there's power in confessing your sins. That's That's the second thing you need to do. Number three is, in Jesus' name, break the power of generational bondage in your life. In Jesus' name, Break the power of generational bondage on your life. How many of us believe there is power in the name of Jesus? Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, I have a friend whose uncle introduced him to porn and to masturbation. And he was such a young guy at the time. Took control of his life for many, many years. Uh, It became something that he felt he couldn't even control anymore. And he was filled with a lot of guilt and shame. His thoughts were all messed up. So he he knew he needed help, and so he went to all sorts of astrologers, fortune tellers, went to different temples to, to get help, but nothing worked, nothing worked. And finally, he goes to church one day with a friend and hears this message about Jesus Christ, how Jesus died on the cross for his sins, how Jesus suffered and died because he loved him, and that he rose again from the grave to show that there's nothing that is more powerful than Jesus. Jesus is greater than sin, he's greater than death, and on that day, he received Christ into his life. And as he started to take a stance against the generational bondage in his life, that power of pornography, that power of you know, masturbation, that power of sexual sin in his life was broken. And to this day, praise God, he lives in freedom from those things by the grace of God. If you believe that, say amen. 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 There's power in the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says it this way. Read it with me above the voice. 1, 2, 3, it says... Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Stop right there. You know, today in our game booklets, I think you notice, if you've been following along, that this is our game passage for today. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is an amazing book. Probably, uh, you know, one of the best books to memorize. There's so many memorizable verses in the book of Philippians, and this is one of them. This is one of Philippians 2, and I encourage you guys to memorize this as a church. It talks about, you know, you know, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but the in, but, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And being and be and, and being found in appearance as of man, he humbled himself, taking on the nature of a certain, and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted them to the highest place that at the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, what what is that? It's saying that there's power in the name of Jesus, that Jesus' name is above every name, that every knee should bow to the name of Jesus. That 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 you know, addictions must bow to the name of Jesus. Pride must bow to the name of Jesus. Sexual sin must bow to the name of Jesus. Worries must bow to the name of Jesus. That whatever generational bondage that you may be facing today, it must bow to the name of Jesus when in Jesus' name you come against that generational bondage. Amen. And so that's why we're gonna give you the opportunity to do that just in a little bit. In Jesus' name, start coming against the power of generational bondage in your life with the greater power that is in Jesus Christ. Because as great as generational bondage might feel like in your life, the name of Jesus is greater. If you believe it, give God a big, big hand here in this place again. Because Jesus name is greater. Praise God. Number four, invite Jesus to take over that area of your life. It's that you want to identify That area, you want to confess that generational bondage. You want to, in Jesus' name, break the power of that generational bondage. Number four, you want to ask Jesus Christ to come and start taking over, taking dominion over that part of your life. And, you know, part of that is this. Part of that is, yes, inviting the Holy Spirit to come and to fill you. That's part of it. God, come and take over my view of money. God, come and take over and take control of this area of my life. Part of inviting Jesus to take over is also about replacing the lies that you have believed in this area of your life with the truth of God about that area. Starting to see that area of your life from God's perspective instead of your perspective. Starting to see money from God's perspective, not your perspective. Starting to see sex, not from your perspective, but God's perspective. And, And it's about replacing your previous way of thinking with a healthier way of thinking based on the word of God. And so for example, if, you, uh, you know, if your parents went through a divorce or there was you know, divorce in your family, then you need to take a good look at what your parents, how they handled their marriage. Ask yourself, you know, Jesus, how do you see this? How do you see marriage? What are some things that my parents did that maybe you would not do? What are some of the mistakes that I need to avoid when I go into my own marriage one day? What habits do I need to unlearn? What are some new habits that I need to start building into my life? What does the Bible have to say about these things? One part of this part, process of breaking bond, generational bondage is prayer. But there's another part we're just starting to think through. Okay, what are some things that I'm going to plan to do differently from now on? It, it'll require making some practical changes. Revelation 3.20 says it this way. So we read in a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3. It says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. See, when you invite jesus christ to take over areas of your life where there's generational bondage do you know what he does he turns generational bondage into generational blessing he takes those areas of bondage in your life and he turns them into areas of blessing in your life amen and just as the struggles that we have we can if we're not careful we can pass that down to the next generation the same thing even more happens with blessing is that when you are able to take hold of those generational bondages, break them in the name of Jesus, and start inviting Jesus Christ to fill that area of your life, that area will become an area of blessing that you can pass to the next generation. It will be a legacy that you can leave for the people who come after you, and they'll say, thank God for Grandpa. Thank God for Mom. Thank God for Auntie. Thank God for Uncle. Thank God for my brother who did that, because I am blessed as a result since then. Let's look at 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. It says it this way, one, two, three, it says, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. Paul, he's talking to his disciple, Timothy, and he's saying, hey, Timothy, when I see you, when I see the faith that you have, I realize something, that that this is a continuation of a blessing that I've seen in three generations of your family. Your grandma had that. Your mom has that. You have that. It's a blessing that carried from one generation to the next. I believe we all want our families, our kids, our future generations to be better off than we are today. And dealing with generational bondage is one of the most important things that you can do to help ensure that your next generation will be better off than we are. And when you do this, you're not just helping yourself, but you're helping your kids, you're helping your grandkids, you're helping your nephews and nieces. You're helping your brothers and sisters who are younger than you. What you're doing is future generations can have a different future because you are standing in the gap today. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? We're not just gonna talk about it. We're gonna do it together. But let's read Psalm 79, verse 13 together. Read in a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Then we, your people, the sheep of your pasture, will praise you forever. From generation to generation, we will recount your praise. You know, earlier this past Month we were looking at the different roles in the home. And it was said that you know a husband is a king, a husband is a priest. We said that you know a wife is a queen, a wife is a fighter. Men and women in this place, this is our chance to really step into our roles as kings and queens, priests and fighters for our families. This is this a chance for us to step in and become fighting fighters for our family so that we will break generational bondage? And find that instead of generational bondage getting passed on, it's generational blessing that gets passed on. Amen? So, can you just stand with me right now? We're going to invite you to, to pray to, with us together. We're going to be having a time to go through these three, four steps that that pastor in my life took me through and that I'm going to take you through today to break generational bondage in your life. And invite the worship team leads in a song, and we're going to then. Go through this time of prayer where we're to see walls coming down. We're going to see bondages being set free. We're going to see generations and their destiny being changed on this day. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Let's give God a big, big hand here in this place with an exciting heart. Let's get ready.